in the last incremental release that they did, we have a very young young man who who lost his eyesight. His eye was completely damaged. Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before starting with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements. A projected one-day hunger strike by prisoners in California's Santa Rita Jail last Wednesday unexpectedly grew in size and scope overnight. The strike was launched by about 60 prisoners, but jumped to up to 300 participants by October 31st. Demands of the strike include better and more nutritious food that is not spoiled or served in unsanitary ways, an end to price gouging for commissary, phone calls, and video visitation, more changes of clothing and laundry access, cleaning supplies, access to lawyers and legal library, and daily exercise and recreation time. Strikers are also demanding an end to retaliation by guards. Prisoners have explained that pressures from the nearby wildfires have led administrators to cut off staffing and impose more lockdowns on the population, cutting off their access to recreation. In a bid to abolish the use of solitary confinement in North Carolina, Four inmates have sued the state prison system, arguing that thousands of prisoners suffer under a practice that's unconstitutional, counterproductive, and inhumane. Prisoners in solitary spend at least 22 hours a day, alone in tiny cells that have been compared in size to a typical parking spot or a small bathroom. Those in solitary are usually prohibited from receiving visits from friends, relatives, or other prisoners, and some have been forced to remain in solitary for over a decade. The lawsuit which the four prisoners hope will become a class action suit, was filed by attorneys from North Carolina's ACLU and the state's Prisoner Legal Services, and alleges that by placing prisoners in isolation, the prison system is causing them to suffer, quote, serious psychological and physical harm, unquote. Researchers have concluded that solitary can trigger such psychological problems as depression, rage, hallucinations, self-mutilation, and suicidal behavior. Prisoners in California have been subjected to a new and disturbing round of gladiator fights. Conflicts between prisoners instigated by guards for their own amusements or to break down solidarity between different groups on the inside. This week, we continue sharing a powerful conversation with three women whose husbands have suffered from this shocking practice. In addition to supporting their loved ones, these women also bravely organized to stop the practice and reverse the punishments hypocritically meted out in the aftermath of these state-imposed battles. This week, they talk more about the dangers and impacts of these fights, the importance of yard and programming, things that are removed from their loved ones because of the intermittent release status they are under, and how to get involved. We applaud these women for their efforts and hope that hearing both their heartbreak and their resolve can help us all move forward against this inhumane set of conditions. Here they are. So they get $55 for canteen that's for um, those that are in the SHU. Those that are on also the quote-unquote modified program um, lockdown, they're not getting their yard time as they're supposed to. So 
that's how they get their canteen is by going out to yard. So they're being self-fed. The meals have just decreased. Um, they used to get, and I know it seems so minimal to some people, but they used to get four slices of bread. Now they get two. The portions are just very small. These are men. They need, you know, a meal. Going to canteen allows them to get the food to supplement or they're not getting from the prison meals. So no yard means no canteen. And then they're hungry. So they're, I mean, they're just being, what I would think, malnourished. And I haven't been able to see my husband because he's not in the shoe, but he's on this lockdown. I haven't seen him since August 11th. So he's, he's denied program as well. And the reason that he is denied program is because they are labeling him an STG or associate, which is a security threat group. But who comes up with those labels or who decides that is no one really has answers for that. So it's a process to try to remove yourself off of something like that. He's labeled as a Southerner, uh, STG. But when you ask the counselors for documentation or for what reason they're holding him, they have nothing to back themselves up. So it's a process and everybody's version varies. Oh, well, you verbally said you're a Southerner. You signed it. Uh, you're, you're associating with these people. They have no grounds really to hold. It's not just him. It's many men on STG status. Well, there's a history behind this for what we have followed and heard. They were basically a budget to, and, and, and I guess not a budget, a deadline. Based on the fact that, you know, the laws were passing and, and um, you know, people needed to program because they want more people to go to board, more people to qualify, et cetera, et cetera. So the rationale behind the incremental release, releases is we don't have programming um, in each yard to accommodate, you know, this separation of inmates, which, which has been put for years for security purposes. So um, I, I could only, I, I could only, I cannot prove this, but, you know, based on what I have heard and seen, that's only my suggestion that, you know, why they are doing this is because the budget that they were giving to do this, you know, went elsewhere. And now they're kind of like between a rock and a hard spot, like, you know, what they were supposed to do, um, which was provide program for all these individuals that they didn't. And so, you know, uh, the legislators and, and, and everybody involved is, is questioning and asking, like, why aren't, you know, men going to board? And when they are going to board, why are they being denied? And their explanation was that there were several programs that they could not offer certain inmates because, you know, they were in a different yard. So they wanted to give everybody the same possibility, the same opportunities to program. Another rationale that they used behind this was, and I can't, I'm sorry if I can't remember the court case right now off the top of my head, but there was this court case that according to a lot of people that have knowledge of this, said that was really being misconstrued and misinterpreted by CDCR because they use this case as, as 
one of the rationales that they could not separate inmates based on race or or, or um, nationality or um, you know even association or what it, what they were labeled as STDs or whatever the case might be, and they used this to their advantage, using it to their advantage meaning that you know because they want to cover themselves based on the fact that you know like I said that's only my that's only my interpretation of it um, based on the fact that those funds were not used appropriately and you know now they're running out of time for them to complete what they were you know asked to complete and comply with and so now you know this is the rationale for implementing this policy I think a lot of people that have been affected by this first they're very hesitant to come out and talk about it which I understand completely um, because there is a lot of retaliation and so much harm has been done already. But I would say a lot of people, they need to come out and share their stories, whether it's anonymously, they just need to, because whenever you talk about somebody that's incarcerated, it's already negative. If you're not affected by it or know somebody that's incarcerated, it's a negative stigma already. Oh, they did something, so they deserve to be in there. Whatever happens to them, they deserve it. No, that's not the case. So you have to shine the light on what's really going on, what CDC is really doing and has been doing for years, and how these men are being treated. These men that have been doing their programming, have been staying out of trouble, doing their work, you know, they're just doing what they're supposed to do to get home. It's already hard to walk a straight line while you're incarcerated because there's things that go on in there that it's just, it makes it difficult. So to do well and stay focused and work towards coming home is a struggle. And them adding this on top of that, they're setting them up for failure. So whoever is affected by this needs to come out and show people what CDCR is really doing to their loved one. And if you don't have a loved one in there, if one of your loved ones is not at risk, whether it be staff, whether it be somebody incarcerated, this is your money also. Your tax dollars are going towards this. Is this what you want? It affects everybody all around. Whether it's personally, your pocket, it affects you. So people need to start speaking up, not be intimidated. There's ways of doing it without putting out your personal information. But Ralph Diaz, CDC, and Governor Newsom as well needs to be held responsible because he could shut this down now. He could stop it. But when they put out an announcement that they're not going to do it, and just a few days after that, say, if Sacramento gives us a word, We'll still continue with it. That's not okay. They just put out the announcement to pacify everybody, but they're not to be trusted. And I guarantee you, if it was one of their loved ones, whoever, you know, on the upper side of it had a loved one incarcerated, they would feel the same. They would not want their loved one put at risk. They would change their tune about it. So what we mean by that is they released this article kind of to get everybody who's been complaining, who's been pushing, who's been protesting, who's been pushing emails to the governors, to legislators, to senators, who's going to Sacramento to go talk to 
to assembly members to say, hey, we need your help to stop this, who, you know, we're advocating, we're pressing Ralph Diaz, Kathleen Allison, Connie Gibson, the wardens. Hey, what is going on? Why can't, you know, why can't you guys do this right? So what they do, okay, they're going to say, you know what, we're going to stop incremental releases. We're going to give you guys what you guys want because apparently it's not working. But what they do backhandedly, okay, I'll stop that. Mm -hmm. But like in Corcoran, for instance, in CTF, the Bulldogs are housed in one wing where the Southerners are housed in different wings. They have separated them completely. In Corcoran, they are not. They are housed in one whole pod together. So what they continue to do, especially I believe it was maybe five days ago in Corcoran, they accidentally, quote unquote, pop the cell's door open. So they'll really, they'll open the Southerners' cell doors and then Bulldog cell doors. And they go at it and they fight. So they have an excuse to keep them down and say, see, these are dangerous individuals. And that is exactly the, what they want to portray of these men that to the public that are blinded, very closed minded. That when we're out here fighting for our loved ones to come home and then they look, they can't get along in here. Why would we want to release them out on the streets and cause more havoc, put the public at danger? They're, they can't get along in, in here. So they make everybody think on the outside that these are men that are just unruly. That's what they want to portray to everybody. And I'll speak on behalf of my husband. My husband, I know who my husband is. I know the man that he is. He's very peaceful. He just wants to do his time and come home, program, yard, work, see his family, and just come home. That's just the bottom line. That's what he wants, and that's my one. Basically, um, what what is happening is that, you know, this is really affecting um, most of the men that are getting ready to go to board, because when you do go to board, you have to have something to show for. So you have to have been positively programming, received all the programs that the board has, you know, recommended, no write-ups, no 115s. I think it's within the previous, I, I'm, I'm not sure about what they're looking for now, but I think um, last I heard it was two years. I'm not, I'm not for certain on that, so don't quote me. But basically what they want to know is that you have been able to program. Most of these men that are very close to going to board don't have that to show for. And, and, and a lot of them I've heard have been denied because of the fact that they have been on modified program and they, they, they have not much to show for. On top of that, if you're not programming and you're also receiving rapidly going to affect you, that is just a big possibility that you're going to get either denied or if the inmate decides that maybe, you know, if they know the law a little bit, they can actually postpone. But that still is, is something that is costing, you know, them to have or get more time or spend more time in that place that they don't necessarily have to. And programming, what programming is, is they get to go to different classes. They have GEDs, they have Narcotics Anonymous, they have Alcoholics Anonymous, church, just 
attending church. As simple as that. They're denied all of those. And the board looks at that. They want to see what they've been doing to better themselves, to improve themselves, to, to make sure they're going to be a success when they come home. They're not allowed to do any of that right now. They can't even walk to the chow hall. They're being fed in their cells. It's hard. It, it is very hard. It is draining. It is difficult because uh, for the reason being that, you know, most people don't want to get involved. Uh, why? Because they're afraid of retaliation to get somebody to organize against something so huge without, you know, them being fearful about it is very complicated. I think we, you know, everybody that has been involved in this fight has, and, and, and you know, every way contributed and, and, you know, taken small steps toward it. But I still feel that, you know, just raising awareness is very important. That's what we've been trying to do. But as far as getting people involved in the fight and struggle, it has been very difficult and frustrating because there's always that fear. There is always that fear of retaliation. There is always that fear of things going worse for your loved one in there than, than it has already been. And I think it's been very difficult. It's, it's very difficult to reach out to the loved ones and get them because for them to actually, you know, speak up about it due to the fear of retaliation. But when you go to talk to the meetings, go to advocate at the Capitol and speak to the legislators to get them to really take you serious. I think that's a big issue. Take you serious and for them to actually take action. Because we have visited quite a few of them numerous times and nothing's really being done. So that gets frustrating. It's like, do you not hear? Do you not see? We've provided proof of what's going on. We've provided dates and it's just, it seems like they're just passing around back and forth. Nothing's being done. And I don't understand why they won't do something, why they won't stand up for, you know, against CDC. And it's not really against CDC. It's like, hold them responsible for what they're doing. Don't allow them to do this. They're putting people's lives in danger. And if it's not for our loved ones that are incarcerated, then it's for the staff that they pay with the tax dollars. Something needs to be done. One of them needs to step up and like, that's enough. My thing is the collateral damage that they've caused. A lot of men are at risk or have lost their parole dates, have not programmed in over a year. So they're getting ready to go to board mm -hmm. and they're not going to be able to show anything for it. I, I would like mm -hmm. them to take accountability for those who have lifelong injuries now because of this. You know, in the last incremental release that they did, we have a very young young man who who lost his eyesight his eye was completely damaged. And then giving these men back their basic human rights, giving them the right to, to program again and to continue to, to let them reunite with their families. A big part of rehabilitation is them being able to see and, and feel and touch and spend time with their families. And they, they need that. They need a sense of home. To, to motivate them to say, this is why I have to continue to work hard so that I can come home. 
so that I can get out of here. Um, and to take accountability that they've created so much chaos, so much turmoil. And, you know, a lot of families have not made it through these lockdowns. They don't. A lot of people cannot deal with this. It's, it's just too hard. Not everybody makes it. It's unfortunate. They need to be held accountable. If it was not for the IRs, then the charges that they've received, the more time, everything that's happened would not have happened. They would be programming, working towards going home, and family is a big part. And when you go that long without seeing your loved one, having any interaction, it's hard. It weighs on both sides. We, we as loved ones do the time with them. And I would never want to be incarcerated, but I do the time with my husband, not hearing from him. And it's not just the visits. It's they need yard time. They need to get outside, fresh air, sun, movement. It's unhealthy to not have any of that. To be in your cell 24-7 with one person. I can't imagine that. So CDCR needs to be held accountable for what's happened. They need to do something to fix that. And they also need to stand by their word. If they're not going to do it anymore, then they're not going to do it anymore. It's not, oh, we're not going to do it. But if Sacramento says continue, we're going to do it. You can't go back and forth on it. I agree on that. I have to second that thought because they need to be held accountable and clean up their mess that they have created. But I also think that for the long term, the, our legislators need to realize that CDCR needs an oversight. Um, this has been going on for way too long. It hasn't been made public as it should. It hasn't been given the importance that it should be given because these are lives at stake. And this is about preserving life and everybody's life is entitled to being preserved and protected even if you are in prison. It's their obligation as CEOs, as employees of the state, to protect inmates, and they have failed to do so in many ways, and this needs to stop. We are sick and tired. As family members, we are done. We are frustrated. They are frustrated. Most of, of, of our loved ones did not reach out to us with all the problems that were actually occurring until they were to the point of breaking because they don't want to worry us. In the outside world, they don't want to give us more worries than we already have. And, you know, one of the biggest things that inmates struggle with in prison is being able to forgive themselves for the damage they have caused, especially um, not only to their victims, but to the families. And our legislators and taxpayers need to realize that they have been getting away with way too much, and they need an oversight. They need a strong oversight, a third party that has nothing to do with CDCR that is not tied to CDCR to oversee their practices and their policies that they implement, because every time they do implement a policy is based on their own agenda. It is never for rehabilitation. It is only for their particular agenda and whatever it is that they're trying to achieve. So they definitely need not only to be held accountable, but to have an oversight 
so that this does not happen again. And so that our, our loved ones and everybody that is incarcerated have uh, the opportunities that they deserve and, and that they are treated as a human being that they are because they have already been judged. They're serving a sentence, but nobody said that by serving that se that sentence, they were going to be continuously um, being judged on a day to day basis and, you know, corrected and, and punished because they have already been punished. Serving their time there is their punishment. That's one thing. Nobody's going to, um, listen to one, five, 10 people. There's power in numbers. You have to be your loved one's voice. You have to advocate for your loved one because they obviously do not listen to the people that are incarcerated. So speak up for your loved one, reach out to people, just continue to share your stories and your word and support your loved one. As hard as it gets, be there for him because if it's tough for us, it's tougher for them. You know, you got to come together when it, when times are hard and they need our support. I would also like to add that, that if you want to advocate for your loved one, that you simply go speak to your local assembly member, your senator in your area, and let them know of the concerns you have with CDCR and what is going on. You know, don't, don't wait until it personally affects you. Because when it personally affects you, it's too late. You know, send emails to CDCR, Ralph Diaz, Kathleen Allison, Connie Gibson. Do whatever. Press the warden for questions with questions and, and answers and accountability. Yes, definitely. And, um, you know, even if you don't have a loved one in prison and, you know, you find it within your heart to understand what the situation is like and, and, you know, why we're doing this, why we are fighting for our loved ones and everybody else. Reach out to your legislators, reach out to the senators, reach out to the Public Safety Committee. Uh, there's a website with a lot of information on people that are not informed of what is going on, uh, where they can go and, and find information and articles on riots, on, on the history of, you know, incremental releases, on what's coming because they are they are also working on a different policy, which is non-designated program facilities that I'm not even going to get into because it will take us all night. But there's information on what that is, um, um, non-designated program facilities, and this is a bigger monster than you know the incremental releases, and they're planning to implement this in some facilities coming up the beginning of January and um, moving on through the year. Right now, some facilities are only doing it on level one and level two, but they're planning to move forward even in level three and level four. And there's a lot of information on that website. People can get informed on the reality of what's going on within CDCR. And on that website is uniteagainstcdcr.wordpress.com. So again, that's uniteagainstcdcr.wordpress.com. This has been KiteLine. Anyone can reach us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. You can hear previous episodes of our show at wfhb.org forward slash KiteLine. For more information on the stories we air on KiteLine, check out kitelineradio.noblogs.org. 
If you or someone you care about has been affected by the prison system, you can call us to be interviewed or to record a message to be played on the air at 812-269-2512. We also want your feedback and to share your story. Feel free to write us at KiteLine at WFHB.org. You can follow KiteLine Radio on all social media platforms. If you want to support our work, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash KiteLine Radio Show. Any funds raised beyond operating costs will be sent to folks on the inside. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Please join us every Friday for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our community. Thank you for listening.